Welcome to Heads Up Hockey. It is all things hockey talk and all things centric around the game. And it's also New Jersey Devils talk as well. And please enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. This is the Heads Up Hockey Podcast, and this is Jersey Joe. Here's Justin Levine of the Puck Authority. Hey, Joe. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. You're welcome. So while we await Elias, uh, who will be doing our Vegas Golden Knights, uh, let's get off to the topic of the Montreal Canadiens and the Seattle Kraken, who are now the 32nd uh, expansion team in the NHL. Yeah, uh, it's really exciting to have uh, the Seattle Kraken as the newest team in the NHL again. But, you know, when we look at the Vegas Golden Knights and the way they did it, uh, this was a little bit different, but still nonetheless exciting. Uh, Todd Lywicki has led this team uh, since March 1st, 2018, I believe it was. And so having the, lo- the logo and the name uh, both come out at the same time are really uh, exciting next step. And I think we got uh, Elias on. One sec. Hello, Elias. Hey, Joe. How's it going? Going pretty good. Welcome on. And uh, Justin and I just introduced uh, the Seattle Kraken along with the Habs and all that. So um, let's hear a bit about from what we just talked a little bit about uh, the excitement from Vegas. Yeah, so uh, the VGK just landed in Edmonton as of yesterday. I'm uh, pretty sure they're going to get a chance to get on the ice today. Um, I haven't gone up on that yet, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be happening very shortly. And uh, they're looking forward to their playing around. Um, I think, let me get the schedule up here. Give me one second. I think they're playing three round robin games. So basically, they are playing Monday the third against Dallas. Is at six thirty p.m. Eastern, and then they're playing on the sixth, which is the Thursday versus the Blues, which is the time hasn't been confirmed yet. And then they're facing round robin against the uh, Colorado Avalanche. All right, so that doesn't sound like a very easy task, given the fact it's Colorado. Exactly. I mean, you're facing three big teams. You're facing the Dallas Stars, who got off to a slow start, but then really they started picking up their groove towards the end of the season. You have the St. Louis Blues, who are the defending Stanley Cup champs, and they're always a very hard team to play against. And, of course, like you mentioned, the uh, the Colorado Avalanche, who basically have a star-studded lineup with Nathan McKinnon, with Gabriel Landeskog, you know, with Kellen McCarr. And again, it won't be an easy task for Vegas at all. And so, Justin, um, you have the Habs uh, going in against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, what do you expect with them going against uh, Pittsburgh in the play-in round that could benefit your team uh, in the near term? Yeah, so um, honestly, just you know, given the amount of players with NHL experience, this could go either way. However, Montreal does present a little bit of a younger roster, um, but that's not always a bad thing. That actually might work in their favor when you look at uh, the production of, you know, first off, let's say 
I mean, Victor Mede, first off, um, just because he's someone I'm familiar with uh, outside of hockey, too. He's not the biggest producer, but, um, you know, he's certainly been key elsewhere. But, like, Ryan Paling, Evans, who's up from the Laval Rocket, uh, it's giving Charles Hudon a chance, who is now with the team in the bubble. Um, that was one I think that may have surprised a couple a couple of the fans, but um, you know sometimes these things work in their favor. Then you've got just Barry Kokaniemi who worked with Joel Bouchard in the AHL for a little while to refine his skills and get more ice time. So um, you know, will that benefit them? I think we're all hoping it will. Then Arturi Lekkinen alongside him. Um, so you know, these are just a few names, and I think that this is a really exciting group. Uh, but again, they have the daunting task of going up against Evgeny Malkin, uh, Sidney Crosby. So you know, it's a challenge, but I think they're ready for it. Um, and it's really anyone's game. It makes me think about um, like everyone starts at square one, and this is steps one through five, where five is the Stanley Cup final game. Um, you think about that playing round. Um, there's a lot of conditional picks in this, uh, this NHL draft that are at stake in the playing round and August 1st is right around the corner. And I'm sure a lot of people are betting on certain teams. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that people are betting on certain teams at this point going through, you know, their, whether it be their favorite team's rosters or, uh, you know, the opposition or trying to figure out, okay, who are the top, you know, let's say three to five teams I want I want to win from uh, each division uh, and each tilt that goes on throughout the day? Because we have to keep in mind, there will be at least five games that go on in one day uh, from Toronto to Edmonton. And so that uh, presents a lot. And the teams who won't will be practicing at the Ford Performance Center in Toronto, which is in a, actually in Etobicoke, uh, just a little south of Toronto. Uh, if I have that correct. And then uh, Edmonton, they will be on the practice rink attached to Rockers Place, home of the Edmonton Oilers. So there's just, there's a lot going on. But, um, you know, you again, you'd expect that fans will start to uh, pick their teams that they're in favor of. And uh, I'd say that a lot of Torontonians, uh, just given that they're playing at home, will have um, a lot of traction and eyes there. And uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights, it seems with... You know, Peter DeBoer at the helm, I'm familiar with him because he used to be the coach of the Devils. Um, He's very good with veterans. Um, I want to see what you think, Elias, on what he will bring with guys like uh, William Carlson and, um, and of course, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury and that. So, uh, basically, I mean, we were all pretty much surprised by the move that uh, Vegas did during the middle of the year when they uh, fired Gallant and replaced with DeBoer. And then at the beginning – it was all about okay. We're bringing in the coach who basically beat you last year, but I really think it's been a it's been a quite the turnaround. I really think that um, the team has you know gone accustomed to him, his sort of style. So it'll be interesting to see like what what he does tactically during the during this uh, playing during the round robin and the like, playoffs. So um, I mean honestly, like I really feel like he's really got the support of his team, and uh, they're all ready. They're all ready to play for him. You know, they said it multiple times. They support him one hundred percent. And we'll just have to see uh, what, what, what goes on and what happens. And so um, I was listening to the Camus Strick podcast earlier. And from what I understand from what um, I believe was Strick, uh, Andy Strickland said that it was um, the fact that Gallant wasn't really in favor of the analytics department and he was going with his gut on playing certain players. Uh, might have led to his uh, role in being 
uh, fired as the head coach in his third year. Uh, well, that's a that's a definitely a, um, a a good point. I mean, me personally, to be honest, I didn't really hear about that. Uh, to be honest, so I mean, me like everyone else, like when I heard it, he was like, "Oh, it was kind of a shock." I actually, uh, I had the pleasure to uh, to meet him at actually at the NHL trade deadline when I was uh, at TSN. So, um, you know, we we spoke briefly about it, but I guess like like him him too, he said that he was thrown off, like he didn't see it coming at all, like he thought he had like a like a good um good relationship with you know like George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon. So that that, that that's my point on that. And so, Justin, we lost you for a little moment. Um, we were just talking about um, how, of course, the Vegas Golden Knights uh, got, you know, Peter DeBoer to replace uh, Gerard Gallant. Um, the Habs have, uh, if I recall correctly, Claude Julien um, still at the helm. Um, how do you think his play style will fare um, going forward? Uh, that's a really good question, and um, I think that that's going to have actually a tremendous impact, just given that he's led a Boston Bruins team uh, for many years uh, in a way that's been successful into postseason, not only just to the first round, the second round, but the Stanley Cup final. We have to remember that this is a man of much experience, and so I think that that's going to weigh heavily on the players to, you know, uh, get together and come in every day doing not only their best, but winning games because at this point, you know, losing is, there's no excuse for it. Um, you know, the fact that they've gone even the opportunity to have the NHL return to play, you know, you really, um, you know, you can't fall short. And so Juli- Julian's going to make that clear if he hasn't already on the way to Toronto. Um, but, you know, this is a time where they've got to get it together and they've got to come out of the gate really just running with it and making sure that they do everything to stay on top of the penguins. And for me as a outsider devils fan looking outside of uh, the Habs, uh, they have Shea Weber uh, on the back end who can still shoot the puck really well. You have Carey Price, who's a veteran and he really wants to prove that he can get the team through the playing round and eventually get through the playoffs. And it's, this is probably going to be the toughest playoffs and the most, uh, coin tossing, flipping uh, playoffs that we've probably ever seen in a lifetime. Yeah, this is this has only happened a number of times. Um, you can actually get those numbers uh, from our latest piece at thepuckauthority.com from Cord Lehman. Um, but yeah, you know, this is uh, something of you know, the unnatural. This really is rarely very happened before. So, um, it's going to be very different for the players and even for the home team as Ronaldo Lavoie from TVA Sports has actually just reported that the Maple Leafs will be sitting on the visiting bench tomorrow at their home arena, Scotiabank, uh, against the Canadians. So um, there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of changes and, you know, because the fans aren't in the buildings, the seats will actually be tarped and they've got extra, you know, LED lighting, uh, staging. Um, you know, there was a lot of money put into this to make uh, the unnatural look uh, at least pleasant to TV viewers. Um, because again, like you like you said, this is something that is uh, really very different and uh, abnormal to say the least. And so, Elias, uh, I'm I'm sure you've seen some of the uh, non hockey uh, regular playing games or etc. You want to call it? Um, I saw that. Um, during a Mets Braves game, I know this is a baseball thing, but I was looking at the stands and they had cardboard cutouts and other areas that weren't 
probably covered. Um, what do you think, you know, it would look like in Edmonton if uh, you're looking at the Vegas Golden Knights playing against, you know, you're playing around an opponent, um, given the fact that we have a funny situation, kind of like Justin was pointing to? I mean, it's going to be a weird situation, but I really feel like I think that's the best idea to go, like what Justin was saying, covering the seats, because I think the problem is that when you tend to watch a game with not many fans, I tend to go towards the empty, empty seats as opposed to the... So, I mean, most leagues, like when they restarted, like if you look at soccer, if you look at basketball, if you look at um, all those major sport leagues, they've actually done a really good job at actually covering um, most of the seats. Like I was actually... Um, following Spanish soccer for a while. <laughs> and um, I was actually watching Real Madrid games, and I realized like they were literally playing – they weren't playing at their main stadium. They were actually playing at their training facility, and they actually had, like, seats, like, covered by, like, a Real Madrid tarp, and they actually had, like, pump-in sound so you can actually still hear, like, like noise of the fans, basically. I mean, I think that, that that's the way to do it, to be honest, because I would honestly prefer that than watching a stadium where there's literally just, like, empty seats. Just in my eyes. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, it, it is weird to see like there's no one in the in the stands, but at the same time, we do understand uh, from a writing perspective that you know this is a pandemic, and you know this is like a once in a lifetime where things like this happen, and you know some people think you know maybe the Leafs or the Habs could win because you know you know their fans time kind of turn against them. Um, up on home ice, but this could be a benefit to certain teams where fans turn against them. No, I, uh, I, I definitely agree. Montreal is one of them. I was actually um, listening to a piece earlier on YouTube, and uh, I was listening to Eric Engels, who actually covers the Habs for Sportsnet as a beer reporter, and he keeps saying that, like, oh, well, Montreal's going in this. They literally have nothing to lose. Like, even their own fans want them to lose so they can actually have, like, a like a one in eight chance of uh, potentially drafting Alexis Lafreniere. So that'll be really interesting to watch, interesting to follow that the fact that the own city is not behind it. But um, if you, if you hear what the players had to say, like I was able to listen to a couple interviews uh, from Tom, Thomas Tatar and um, Paul Byron, they're like, Oh, well, you know, one of the most important things is our fans. You know, we want to, we want to, we want to do well for our fans. So it's an interesting story of that, that the story in the build. And so um, we can move forward with the Seattle Kraken or Kraken, technically, uh, according to Siri. Um, but um, it seems like everyone is excited, even myself. Um, I always like, you know, Seattle sports over the years, and they seem to just be very uh, passionate sports fans, and especially with the history of winning the first Stanley Cup in the U.S. Um, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, the league's expanding. Um, Certainly, there's going to be a good rivalry like Vancouver versus Seattle. To me, that's like the Devils versus Rangers, if there's an equivalent. Yeah. So, what do you expect in the West? I mean, it, it's gonna it's gonna be tricky because now you have a team like Arizona who is uh, in the Pacific. They're gonna be moving to the Central, so it's gonna be a lot harder on them just based on on travel because they'll have to go to cities like St. Louis and and uh, and Dallas. Um, but I think honestly, it's it's a great move for the league. It's always good to branch out, you know, find a find a decent market. I mean, honestly, the the only department that Seattle actually beat um, Vegas in was actually that like Vegas. It took them twenty minutes to sell all the the season ticket deposits. 
whereas Seattle it actually literally took 10 minutes, apparently, according to uh, Tim Laiwiki when he made his announcement. So, I mean, I mean, there there is demand for the game. You know, Seattle is a sports city. You know, you have the, the Seahawks, which is uh, now, you know, a, a big team in the NFL. So, I mean, it'll be good for them to have a hockey team. And we're actually looking forward to the 2021-2022 uh, 20, season when uh, they're able to play at a, a Climate Pledge Arena. And we'll see how this all unfolds. And I really think that Vancouver – would probably be their, their their biggest rival. And so, Justin, you can chime in on this uh, part of the uh, discussion with um, a big market in the Pacific Northwest with Seattle. What do you see uh, going forward with the expansion draft and everything? Um, you know, I think that this has the opportunity to, you know, very much like Vegas be uh, unique in its own way. Uh, it's going to present a chance for – Obviously, different different players who once again uh, will be uh, you know either blocked from getting moved or uh, you know each team is going to have at least one player. But that being said, when you look at uh, the logistics of it, uh, like Lia said, travel um, is going to obviously weigh heavily, especially given that Arizona will be moving again from the Pacific to the Central. Uh, so you know, with that being said, I think it's going to give them some opponents that are um, not only, you know, closer to them. I think that's going to be what the goal is uh, once they're officially in the NHL as of 2021-22. But in terms of, you know, I guess the difficulty that they'll be up against, I think that this will present a very strong Seattle team because, you know, after you listen to Todd Lewicki talk about the build of this team, he's going for one that, much like Vegas, right away will compete for the Stanley Cup. He, you know, because again, there's something to be said about um, strong ownership along with a good coaching staff, and so I think that that's what what they're going for. And I think that again, uh, the Kraken or the Kraken, um, you know, again, depending on how you say that, uh, will find themselves at home very quickly at Key Bank Arena, uh, better known now as Climate Pledge Arena. And I think that they'll have some solid competition uh, to go alongside them. And coming forward with the uh, naming of the franchise, it's it kind of reminds me, you know, in New Jersey we have a mythical. Uh, creature as in the Jersey Devil or the Leeds Devil and in 1982 the team took a uh, a fan write-in vote and fans overwhelmingly voted in favor of of course the Devils and it was also Americans and Coasters uh, the Coastals so those were the other uh, two of three uh, names but um, knowing the name Kraken or Kraken, um, however you want to put it, is a uh, special sea monster that is off the coast of uh, the Pacific Northwest. And it's um, indigenous to uh, that part of the, the U.S. and the world. So not many teams can say, oh, we have a special sea monster other than uh, the Detroit Red Wings throwing uh, – octopi on the ice right this is something a little bit unusual um only because again you don't hear that uh you know that's where the inspiration for a team comes from every day uh, again for uh, the vegas golden knights it was a completely different story this had to do with you know the atmosphere of vegas uh and the kinds of things you'd see there and so they kind of wanted to uh you know tr- make it a tribute to the city but um so 
Seattle did that, but they did it in a different way as to, you know, what's been found, you know, off the, off their coast in Puget Sound, um, which was uh, something really unique. And I think at, at the same time special because every city has something um, different about theirs and uh, Seattle's, you know, being in the Pacific Northwest, this was uh, something, you know, totally different. And uh, I think a first for the National Hockey League. And so um, we all know that Seattle sports fans can be super loud. Um, what comes to my mind are Blackhawks fans. You yeah. have um, Sh- Chicago has done that before many times, br- breaking decibel barriers. You have the Jets of Winnipeg that do that. Um, Vegas can be pretty loud. Um, I wonder what the decimal is, is going to be when the Kraken hit the ice. And it should be pretty exciting. Um, like, for instance, you know, Columbus Blue Jackets have the cannon after every home goal. I just wonder what um, Seattle is going to bring because San Jose has that foghorn. Right, they do have that foghorn, and so it makes you think, what what will Seattle do? Will they just decide to do a normal goal horn? Will they have, um, you know, because, you know, not knowing really a lot about the origin of the Kraken, I don't really know if there's, uh, you know, kind of a sound to that, but what they might go for some sort of, um, you know, water swoosh or something, then go with a loud horn just, you know, off the top of my head here because, uh, again, not really familiar with the with the full origin of the Kraken or Kraken yet. Um, so, yeah, there's uh, obviously a lot of possibilities. Um, but I think that, again, like Todd Lywicki said the other day when he introduced uh, the team officially, that they want to do something that's, you know, unlike any other franchise in the National Hockey League. So that gives a lot of options. And, uh, you know, keeping with their uh, theme of the water, I think that uh, we could possibly be in for uh, something of the swoosh kind. Uh, They might also do maybe like a potential sea monster sound. I mean, maybe from like a pirate movie. I don't know. Potentially. I hear you. I would say that... Yeah, I would say that that's definitely possible. Uh, maybe they they take something like like from a pirate movie because I I saw like their their trailer at the beginning, and it looked very much kind of like a Pirates of the Caribbean theme type thing. So we might look into that. And uh, Joe, just to follow up on the uh, on the sound decibel, I don't know if you ever ever been to a uh, Montreal playoff game, but back in maybe like in the playoff when Montreal used to play in the playoffs, games at the Bell Center used to get pretty pretty loud as well. Just to let you know. Because I know sometimes they it can get really, really up there, over 100-plus decibels. Um, exactly. Even in regular season, Winnipeg's always, like, blasting it. And when um, Winnipeg did come back um, from Atlanta, and I just heard, like, after every goal, it just, like, place goes nuts. And um, for me, like, as a Devils fan, I just remember every playoff game in 2012 just, like, it was insane, especially versus L.A. It was just crazy. Um, they did a little thing with, like, a little bit of, like, looks like a little bit of smoke coming out, and they would do that, like, after a home goal, and they did it versus the Rangers, and that was an interesting effect. And uh, before that, they would play, like, um, like 
you know, haunted music, like, uh, like a da 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 da, like very like spooky. So they they did that as a theme, and I can see that um, in Seattle. Um, definitely, this is going to be an interesting um, last week of no regular playing around hockey. So this should be exciting for us all as writers having more content. Um, what do you expect going forward this upcoming week? I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. Um... You know, the first couple exhibition games, it's probably not going to be the best hockey that we've seen recently. It'll probably be more like teams like trying to like figure figure like their system out because they remember they haven't played an actual game in like four to five months. I mean, you can scrimmage as much as you can, but it really takes like like a game action to really get you going again. So, I mean, I'm, I'll give you an example. Tomorrow's Habs-Leafs game, you know, it might be a little bit sloppy in the first period. You might see a lot of uh, defensive errors. But that's mostly because technically it's still an exhibition game and it's just a preparation game. So um, I really think it'll probably take to like the second or third round of the uh, playoffs to really get some really, really, really exciting like skilled hockey. I think the first couple rounds or first couple of games, it's going to be like like a shootout type thing or it could be very, very messy. And uh, so, Justin, what else do you think um, going forward um, that we should see – and expect from the Habs going forward with um, things getting closer to showtime. Um, okay, so given that they landed in Toronto uh, at 10 a.m. yesterday, and they already have had a practice at the Ford Performance Center, home of the Toronto Marlies for their practices, and where the Maple Leafs usually uh, do their practices too, that speaks a lot to, uh, you know, I think Julian's mentality of, okay, let's get right down to it. We're, you know, we're not playing around. This isn't vacation. We're not going to spend time at the hotel. We are going to get right on the ice. And so, um, you know, while, while Elias alludes to the fact that, you know, there's the slim possibility that it might be sloppy and yes, it's an exhibition game. So, um, you know, it might not matter. I think that, um, you know, just speaking from that standpoint that they've already had a skate uh, I don't actually think that they're going to be sloppy. I think that, you know, Julian Price has said to them, tomorrow we get on the ice and we do what we do as Canadians. There's no, you know, there's no second option. There's no losing. We, we get out there against Toronto and we show what we have and we play to, to the pace that we, that we would have before, you know, the COVID pause. So um, I expect them to be, you know, right in the middle of the show and I expect them uh, to come out against the Penguins in game one, which is at 8 p.m. Eastern time, um, you know, flying and not even looking like, you know, the COVID pause affected them in any way, despite three months off from regular National Hockey League play. And it sounds like Crosby might not be uh, in one of those games because it seems like um, he left practice the other day and they, I'm not sure if they followed up on what that was, but um, I'm sure that, He's probably being self-quarantined or something like that. Do you know exactly? He actually practiced today. All right, so it, it, it's nothing serious. So it seems I'm I'm assuming that the fact that he was actually able to do a full uh, a full practice today assumes that it wasn't anything serious. And so it basically sounds like things might be systems all go for the Pittsburgh Penguins, but um, given the fact that some of their players their best players are getting up there in hockey age. Um, you know, some of the best players tend to slow down a little better than others, but it, 
it could be just like the same thing we could witness with the Blackhawks when they play against the Oilers. Uh, exactly. So, I mean, um, it's it, these rivalry games, I really applaud the NHL when uh, when picking these games because they, a lot of them happen rivalry games where, you know, it's two teams, like you have Philadelphia playing Pittsburgh and Montreal playing Toronto. And uh, those rivalry games really add an extra spice to the game. So, I mean, it could be that, add, that adds that more extra level of interest. And so um, we ha- we haven't heard back on – you know, the Selkie trophy or any of these other trophies just yet. But uh, I just want to get your feelings on uh, on who you think might be getting those awards. Um, okay, so actually, just to give you an award update, they actually just announced 15 minutes ago um, all the 31 nominees for the King Clancy. So I'm actually looking at it right now. So uh, actually, surprising, surprising enough, Carrie Price is actually the Habs nominee. For Vegas, it's actually Mark Andre Fleury. And uh, and to follow up with that, Justin, who do you think is going to win that? Um, that's a great question. I feel like saying that uh, it's going to be Leon Dreisaitl, who is already, uh, you know, supposedly um, already in some people's minds victorious uh, with two awards. So. I think that just given what he does with Connor McDavid and the way he does it instantly gives us to, to him. However, that being said, Carey Price, uh, you know, continues to put on a show uh, in the net for the Montreal Canadiens. He had, a, I think most would say solid year, not outstanding, but a solid year. Um, so, you know, there's a couple candidates here who stand out more than others. Jack Eichel, you could even say for Buffalo as he continues to lead the show there. Um, you know, but as a Canadians fan, I want to say Carey Price, but I know that's not fair. So, yeah. uh, for that reason, I think I'm going to go Leon Dreisaitl myself. Um, I think that these are just a couple that, um, obviously make the most sense, but, uh, Dreisaitl overall, just for how he plays and, you know, I think that skill is really deserving. I, w- I, I, have, I have to agree with, uh, with, with Justin on that one because after the incredible year that he had, 110 points in what was it, probably 65 games, that, that's remarkable. I really feel like he's trying to, he's going to be growing to like, one of the best star players of the league, and he, every year he's going to keep getting better. So it's, uh, I, I really feel that he, he's my pick as well. He might be winning like three or four awards this year for sure. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets three or four. I mean, um, we usually think automatically just Connor McDavid or um, even in some cases Patrick Kane uh, when it comes to the goal scoring and points. Um, it really does seem like Leon Dreisaitl not only made, made a mark for um, himself, but also for his country of Germany. And we see last year um, Detroit pick more at cider and we – are seeing in this draft class that um, there are kids, uh, three kids coming from the DEL that could most certainly benefit from the success of their fellow countrymen and uh, and Leon Dreisaitl. No, that that's definitely a valid point because you know normally when you look at hockey players, when they look at the countries, you mostly look at either Canadians, Americans, Swedes, Finns, Russians, but it's very rare that you actually look at Germany. Germany hasn't been really on the NHL map for quite a while. So I really feel like Dry Style is doing a good job of actually bringing Germany back to the, the forefront. And now we can actually look at, at, at German players as, as a force, not just like 
oh, you know, we have the U.S., we have the Swedes, we have the Finns, we have the Czechs, we have the Russians. It's really German hockey is now t- trending right now in the right direction. And it seems like they're following up with the Swiss in the fact that, you know, the Swiss programs and the Austrians are starting to follow through, especially with Marco Rossi um, following the footsteps of uh, Swiss player Nico Heischer on my team. And, you know, it comes to show you how these kids in uh, Central Europe are starting to follow the footsteps of other fellow uh, Europeans coming to the big leagues in North America. No, um, I, I, I tend to agree with that. And I really feel like Marco Rossi is an exceptional player. I've actually seen some tape on him. And uh, he was actually one of the, the players that actually Montreal was looking at at that eighth or ninth spot. But we, uh, we still don't know what's going to happen. So, I mean, um, I think he's going to be one of those sensational kids. I mean, this guy, apparently he's like a, like a goal scorer, they were saying. So, he really add that, uh, that skill and that goal scoring to the league. He is a goal scorer. I have seen him in person myself covering the Mississauga Steelheads versus Ottawa 67s. Um, I think that uh, I, I think that your pick range is probably about accurate. However, I have heard that there's a chance that this year he goes uh, at least home or close to home to play. So, um, you know, that being said, I don't think that's going to affect anything on the NHL side. But um, in terms of production and adjustment, uh, you know, you move and that always presents a possible problem. So, um, you know, not really sure what that's going to hold, but I do think that you're right about that. And it also seems this is one of the better birth years for uh, team Sweden, where you have Holtz, you have Raymond and William Wallander, just to name a few guys that, you know, likely go first round. Um, I'm very high on the first two. Um, I definitely think that there's a bright future um, in this draft class. And um, I put in the 11 thoughts, weekly thoughts article in for tomorrow. Um, I'm wondering what you would think about um, if you were drafting for the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, Elias, who would you select um, in your range right now? I mean, that's actually a pretty hard question um, because I know Vegas will probably be like in towards the lower ends, maybe between like the 20th and 30th pick. Um, so to be honest, I haven't had a chance to look at the full, full scouting uh, report. I probably looked at the first top 10 picks. So, I mean, um, just checking right now. Give me one second. I'm really, to be honest, I'm, I'm unaware. I haven't really looked, looked at picks it's a lower than, than 10, so I wouldn't really know. But I'm assuming that um, – that, uh, that they would probably have a lower-end pick, which means that, again, they might get an exceptional player, but, I mean, it could be, you know, a, a player that's not as good as someone who's in the top 10. Yeah, for yeah for the halves, what do you think you'll see, Justin? Um, that's a great question. I, uh, I'm honestly not really sure because Bergevin is a man of many surprises. And so with that being said, that leaves a lot of different doors open. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to speak to that because I think if there's one GM who does that the most, it's Mark Bergevin. And so it's really, really unpredictable. Yeah, from what I I, I believe, um, if every if the dice goes the right way in uh, Fitzgerald's um, hands, I I do forecast um, 
Lucas Raymond is going to go before we get him. Um, I do have a good hunch Holtz is going to fall at seven. Um, I do like Jarvis at 10 or 11. And I do like Jack Quinn around 17. I think either way you slice it, whoever lands where they are, um, will affect the 10 through 17 uh, going forward. So, I mean, if I had to take a guess, I was just looking at the NHL Central Scouting. Um, if I were in Vegas, I'd probably have a look at, uh, at Thomas Bordolo. Uh, I know he did play on the uh, U.S. World Junior Team, and uh, I think he was – I, I think I saw like one game where he played, and I, I would probably have to give that my best guess to, to pick him. All right. So, um, with us closing in on the uh, within the last few minutes before the forty minute mark, um, what are you guys thinking about going forward with the way that you know there is a flat cap, and do you believe with the help of Seattle along with Vegas, and when things do normalize? Do you see the cap going up to benefit not just the players but the fans? Well, um, that's actually a great question. I mean, um, speaking as a Montrealer, a lot of people are saying that um, the, the the cap being frozen at one point five can actually prove to be very beneficial for the uh, for the Habs because they were actually like eight or nine million below the salary cap, and uh, had that not deal had that deal not been in place, we were looking at a potential 50 60 million dollar cap which would have put it even tighter but now teams now they still have a little bit of that flexibility but i mean it will probably take like two or three years before we can actually get back to like a like a 4.8 billion dollar number so i mean in the meantime i do think that seattle could potentially help vegas too has always had good numbers so i mean um i'm projecting maybe two or three years but we can probably get there faster depending on what the plan is after they finish this season and the plan for next season. And what do you think about that going forward, Justin? Um, I think that the cap, you know, this is always an interesting discussion because a lot of people say, I think it's good where it is. I think it should be raised higher a little bit. Um, and, you know, this allows for, you know, more flexibility, obviously, when it is raised a little bit. Um, but, you know, when it comes to, make balancing things out um it kind of leaves me at a standstill as to what i really personally think but um i think that we're gonna see the cap probably go up again and um you know because it did spike up a little bit this past year and so um you know do i think it's gonna be a drastic change immediately no but um i do think that we're gonna see this uh, certainly play an effect because especially with uh, the new Seattle Kraken franchise uh, coming into effect in 2021-22 um, I think that has to allow for uh, a little bit more um, wiggle room per se so um, to get these big players and make it possible uh, to lock them down I think that it's not only going to be beneficiary to the Kraken but uh, to the entire league as a whole all right, so uh, what are some of your final thoughts before we uh, wrap this up with so much in within 40, 45 minutes? Um, what, what are your some closing thoughts, uh, Elias and then Justin? So, I mean, um, I actually I had a little thought about it today for about five seconds. After five and a half months, we are actually less than 24 hours away from the return of hockey because the, uh, the Flyers do play the Penguins tomorrow at 4 p.m. 
And then we have that big matchup between Montreal and Toronto at 8 p.m. So, I mean, it was a long road. I'm still surprised how we got here. At the beginning, no one thought this was going to work. And the fact that now we've gone to the bubble with zero cases, the NHL reporting that as of yesterday, um, which is a really positive sign. And now that they're in the bubble, you know, like they were saying, they're saying phase three is probably going to be the hardest part because, you know, they're still going outside. They're still doing their daily lives. It's more like people were saying once we get to the bubble, everything will be okay. And now that they've gone to the bubble, they've had zero cases. I really feel like the NHL is off to the races. And then I'll start off tomorrow with a big rivalry game. And uh, Justin, what are your final thoughts on uh, on this whole situation going forward? Um, okay, so, you know, like Elias just alluded to, the NHL put out a release just a little bit earlier today saying that since the, since everyone's arrived to the bubble, there have been no positive cases uh, that have come up uh, despite all, all the traveling. They have done that as carefully as they possibly could. Uh, the plans that they've been flying on flying on to get to Toronto those were all privately chartered planes just for the teams uh other teams bus there were very few of them but there were um so I think we're off to a really good start here um and now that you know for example uh the whole Montreal Canadiens team is finally together uh you know healthy on the ice I think that's huge because uh they weren't really a full team until the final practice in Broussard Quebec uh, which was, um, you know, unusual, but we found out that that's because there were two positive tests and they wanted to separate three others who were in contact with those two. So, you know, I think if the NHL continues this trend and everyone continues to follow policy, which I think with, uh, you know, certain limits in the NHL bubble will make that very easy for them to uh, stick to keeping safe and healthy. Uh, you, you know, this is no matter where they go because BMO Field uh, on the exhibition grounds, home of Toronto FC, has become an outdoor lounge for the players. And so no one, el- and no one else is going to be around there, not around the huge parking lot outside. And so there's no chance that, you know, they can uh, get infected uh, with the virus from anyone around there because nobody hangs around there. And then, you know, they've got their own lounges within Scotiabank Arena and the same can be said for Rogers Place in Edmonton where they can hang out at night. Um, you know, they're trying to make this as comfortable as possible in addition to the hotels. And with that being said, uh, safety-wise, there are restaurants within the hotel and within the arena, and those will, um, you know, ensure that the players are taken care of. But at the same time, are kept within the NHL secure bubble. And um, so I, I really, I see this going off without a hitch, but um, I hope I'm not speaking too soon when I say that. I I'd hope so that it's not too soon or we jinx something. Uh, I do hope that um, the numbers stay the way they are, um, but things can happen sooner or later. But it, it seems versus what all the other leagues have done to resume play, it seems that the NHL has been the most cautious of all the others, but um, they seem to have fought off the escrow battle and the CBA they squared off. Um, given the fact that, you know, play is not too far around, I think fans should be happy uh, regardless what they're watching. Um, given the fact that, you know, my doubles aren't in, you know, the, the playing round or the playoffs, so to speak. Um, for me, I just want to see, see possible players who could end up being on our team uh, going into the next season. But uh, it'll make the wait make us wait a lot less longer um, with actual games on TV. So there's a little good hope to that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, I think the fans should be happy with what they with what they get because this was very, very hard to get off the ground and not only speaking on, you know, on the end of baseball, but, you know, for all pro sports. So the fact they've gone to this point, the fact they have no positive tests and they're going from the hotels to Ford Performance Center and back and hanging around the downtown Toronto area uh, within the secure areas that the league has said okay to, I think that's huge. So I think we're in for a great couple weeks of hockey. Um, this certainly was the best way to do it. They've picked the two safest cities and, you know, I couldn't be more thrilled to see that the league has, uh, you know, had so much success this early on. So I think that's going to be, um, you know, it, that's going to pay huge dividends to the rest of this, um, NHL playoff run. All right. So, uh, Elias, what are you going to plug in for your next article on this podcast? So um, my article, so actually I've been reporting on the Montreal Canadiens daily, funny enough. So I've actually been the beat reporter for the Montreal Canadiens for the Puck Authority. So um, every day I'll be posting uh, updates. Actually, tomorrow is going to be game day, the first game day that I cover. So I'm really looking forward to that. So you'll most likely see a preview uh, of the match in the morning and then uh, a post-match recap uh, after the game. And Justin, what else are you going to plug in uh, article-wise for TPA? All right, so this is uh, actually something that's uh, really known well to the website at this point. The National Women's Hockey League has the Toronto Six, their sixth organization, uh, join the league. And so with that being said, they signed former CWHL player Mackenzie McNeil earlier today. And so my next column will be on her signing with the team. And then you can continue to look out for a Toronto Six preview as we get closer to their training camp, which opens September 21st. Um, and then, you know, look out for a couple more OHL commitments to Ontario universities. But, um, you know, <laughs> with that being said, you might also see some NHL content from me. So we've got a lot going on. Uh, it's an exciting time for all of us here at the Puck Authority and, um, you know, for all of hockey fans across Canada and obviously the U.S. So, you know, we rally in this together. We do so safely. And, you know, I think if we continue to move in this direction and masks continue to be worn, uh, socially distance off the ice, I don't think we're going to have an issue. And I think that this is an exciting time. And I certainly will say this. I will have something coming up, uh, especially, you know, I'm always thinking about um, what does this mean for Tommy Fitzgerald and the Devils going forward? And what does the playing around mean with all the conditionals being met and, uh, with that being said, this was a pretty good uh, three-way uh, discussion, uh, the triangular discussion on uh, the Heads Up Hockey podcast. So um, thank you for such short notice um, within the past few days. Not a problem. Thanks for having us, Joe. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Welcome. Peace.